0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think.
1: Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help.
2: Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages.
1: Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%.
2: Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a
1: special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi,
2: I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. For kids and parents alike, combining
1: reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We are so thrilled to have Trish Hutchison with us today. Both. Cara and I have admired her for a long time. Her work with Girlology, which is a leading wellness app and digital platform educating kids and their adults about puberty and adolescence. Trisha is a pediatrician and a nationally recognized health educator and the co-author of an amazing new book that came out last year called Uology, which is very inclusive body book For kids of all genders. And Trish is just funny and kind and insightful. And we're super excited to have her on with us.
2: We know you're gonna love this conversation, which really pivots around one central theme how and when do I start talking about fill in the blank? Hi, Trish. Hey, how are y'all doing? Oh, we are so happy to have you here.
1: Well, I'm excited. Are we going to go through puberty together?
2: <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I thought we not. were
1: talking about nail polish, Trish. What do you mean uh, we're talking about puberty?
2: Look at my nails.
1: You can tell I use none. Mine too. I don't <laughs> put any on of my it's nails. It's how
2: we today. get Vanessa in the room. <laughs> Trish, we are so excited to have you. I, I'm going to just fangirl for a second. I am so excited to have you between... I am too. Okay, but <laughs> but you gave me the mic first today, Vanessa, so I I'm did. going. It's true. Uology um, <laughs> yes. is... A phenomenal book that we're going to spend a bunch of time on today. We're going to sort of structure this conversation around when to begin certain topics with your kid or with the kid in your life. And a lot of that information really pulls out of the pages of this book, Uology, which is wonderful. But Vanessa and I have known about you for years, way before Uology ever came out, because you have a phenomenal curriculum. And program, I would say. I wouldn't even call it curriculum, sort of the less sexy word, program, in the form of girlology. Why don't we just start there with the lens on how you end it up getting into the work of the book Uology, beginning with girl? There's a lot of ology with beginning with girlology. It's a A a tongue twister, isn't it? Oh my gosh.
0: So I've been fangirling you for years. Um, American Girl book. Every time somebody says their kids read it, I'm like, yes, no, yes, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) mutuals. Yeah, so exactly. So as a pediatrician, you know, I recognize that puberty periods, correct anatomical terms, or other reproductive health issues, and even mental health issues, they just aren't easy topics for parents or kids to talk about. And so that's why we initially created Girlology, because we wanted to provide our own patients with medically accurate information outside of that 15-minute window. That's all you get when you go see your doctor. And we also wanted to provide parents with support to help them improve parent-child communication to reduce the silence in the house, reduce misinformation and even stigma around these topics. So Girlology started with live puberty programs as an extension of our busy clinical practice, but now it's become a digital solution, really transforming girls' health. We provide personalized health care through our grade-by-grade playlist. We have some for parents, we have some for kids, and we have over like 500 video on demand that people watch. And it's just, it's been fun to do. We tried to go digital right before COVID, but COVID just pushed us out the door and made us do a little bit quicker. So yeah, my partner is Dr. Melissa Holmes. She's an OBGYN, adolescent gynecologist. And we just used to talk about similar stuff and really our frustrations of how little kids know. So we have girlology and guyology, and we named it this way before we had better terms to be gender inclusive. This was 20 years ago, which is embarrassing to say how long ago that was. Um, <laughs> And we were about to update our puberty book to have one more inclusive to really include boys and girls together because we think they should learn about each other. Instead of separating them out, you know, they should learn it together. Um, Yes. So the American Academy of Pediatrics came up and asked us to update and then also, you know, to include gender diverse kids. And so it was a COVID project and it was hard at times to figure out how to include everybody in this book without sounding Weird, you know. You know, you, you say people with ovaries or people with testicles. You feel like it's their body parts, and you don't necessarily want to
1: do that, you know. And we struggle with this all the time: how to be as inclusive as possible in our language and terminology. And we had a really interesting experience because we interviewed a young woman who has MRKH, and she was born without a uterus. And so she considers herself female and has lots of other identifying body parts that someone would say, oh, this is a female. And yet she said when folks say people with uteruses yes. or people with ovaries or people who have periods or people who bleed, she's like, that doesn't include me. Mm-hmm. It was so instructive in however hard we work to include people, we're gonna realize that there's somebody being left out. And Absolutely. it was an aha moment for me and Kara. And it's just an ongoing conversation and we are going to mess it up. And what we rely on is the feedback from people out there who say, yes. you know, this is great, or you know what, this doesn't work for me. Can we talk about new new language? Right. And we got a lot of
0: help uh, from the AAP, from their committees on how to use the language appropriately. And we ended up Having characters with different stories. And so it would be like, if you're a person like Oliver, and then you could look back and see who Oliver was. And so that made it easier for us to be more inclusive. I love our little stories and our characters. Those are so much fun to do. But, yeah, it is. I think we're still learning. I'm still learning.
2: It's interesting because the adults in the conversation, I think there's a piece of us that wants credit for trying and mm. doesn't really work that way if you're making someone feel like they're outside a conversation or they're not seen in a conversation. And being so worried that you're going to leave someone out can shut the conversation down entirely. And that's not the goal. And so we're all threading this needle. And when I say we, it's not just the three of us on this recording. It's really everyone who's listening. Everyone's threading this needle in a very delicate way it's the reason we record these podcasts every single week and try to talk to as many different people as we can. We we really love to think about being more and more and more inclusive. But to Vanessa's point, you know, boy, it gets tough because yeah. when you include one, sometimes you inadvertently exclude, exclude another. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think one one thing I noticed, and this I think is a good segue into the the meat of the episode about when and how to talk about certain subjects. I find that when I'm nervous or unsure of the appropriate language and trying to be sensitive to someone else's feelings and experience, I talk so much more than I do when I feel comfortable and confident in like how I'm going to approach something. You also
2: talk when you're feeling comfortable and confident.
1: Well, I mean, I (laughs) don't... Okay. Let me rephrase that. I talk a lot all the time, but when I'm feeling particularly uncomfortable, I talk even more, or let's say less effectively. And one of the things that I work on, clearly I need much more work, is how to be more succinct, particularly when talking to kids, because they don't want to be lectured. They don't want to be patronized. They want basic quick information that is at their level. Absolutely. And so with that sort of guiding principle, and I'm sure we'll get back to this over and over in the conversation, Trish, we're going to kind of prompt you with a few different, when is the right time to dot, dot, dot. And then let's talk about it. So Let's start with an easy one. Any of our regular listeners could answer this question just as well as the two trained pediatricians on this Zoom could. It's a quiz. When Uh is the right time to use... To, dot, 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 um, to use anatomically correct language for genitals?
0: Gosh, that's from the very beginning. You know, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, penis, testicle, vagina, vulva, It has to start at the beginning, and you should be just as comfortable using these words as you are your eyes, nose, ears, mouth. It's really important to start early because this is sexual abuse prevention. You know, when kids understand the correct anatomical terms, we don't put these negative connotations about them being dirty or gross. And you also set personal boundaries around their private parts these parts are private, you know, nobody's allowed to touch them unless another consenting adult is around. I mean, there's a huge conversation. I had a patient that came in who said her uncle Johnny was playing with her pocketbook and she kept coming in with everybody but her mother. And finally the mother came in and as soon as she said it, the mother's face just dropped because that's what she calls her privates, was her pocketbook. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just so important for us. And I always tell parents, if you can't say penis or vulva, Which is the outside girl parts, not vagina. I'll get off my soapbox on that one. Everybody calls it a vagina. Just go look in front of the mirror and practice. You know, it it becomes easier with practice. But please, please, from the very beginning, teach your kids private. And, you know, if you didn't have the opportunity, you have an eight year old at home, start now. It's okay.
2: You're preaching to the choir here, and we love that. But we get this question all the time I didn't start, I didn't start young you know, we do use pet names. It bonds us. It's, you know, we laugh, we do this, we do that. How do we help people, adults, rewrite that script with the kids in their house when the kids are a little bit older?
0: I think what you just need to do is you need to say, okay, I'm the parent. I made a little bit of a mistake. I really want us to start using the right terms for your body. And it, they may look, at you like, you have three eyes when you say the word penis or vagina, cause they probably have heard that it was a bad word. Um, so you do just need to let them know that you can talk about these parts. They're just like your elbow and your eye, but you know, you got to feel comfortable saying it because kids are smart and they know if you're feeling awkward. So again, practice, but you can say I made a mistake as a parent. I really want us to start using those correct anatomical terms. I would say it's never too late to have any conversation
1: with your kids, right? And I do think kids love it when we say, I'm actually feeling, yeah, definitely I messed Mm -hmm. up. They're like, they'll throw a parade for that. But like, (laughs) even just saying like, I'm actually really nervous to have this conversation with you, but it's so important that I'm going to get over my nervousness and have it Anyways, and then they're like doubly excited because not yes. only did you mess up, but you're also nervous. And they're like, oh, you I have the, the upper hand.
2: There is a, a subset of the conversation though that I think sometimes it's not that it got done differently. It just got completely skipped over. And that mm-hmm. is when you have a genetic male and you're really good about talking about all the genetic male parts, but you haven't labeled any of the genetic female parts or vice versa. And in those situations, sometimes it does take a, instead of a, I messed up, it's, I left this entire laundry list of terms out of the conversation for the past decade. And you know what? I want to bring it in. And we get this from parents who have only one gender of child in their house. And they'll say, "We, we just never talk about the other body type.
1: And people often say, well, I don't have the equipment, so I don't think I can talk about it. And as we encourage, and I'm sure you do too, Trish, it's like, you don't have to have the equipment Mm -hmm. to talk about it. You just have to educate yourself a little bit or learn together or look together. But I think there's this kind of approach and we're going to get to how babies are made in a second, but there's (laughs) this approach. There's this approach, which is like only men can teach. Boys about penises. And it's not the case. I mean, you can say, I don't know what it feels like to have an erection because I have a vulva and a vagina. I don't have a penis, but I do know that it happens and different people have different experiences. So speaking of equipment (laughs) um, and what it does, we know, and I'd love to hear the ages, because Cara and I always have this conversation. At what age is it? How are babies made? And then at what age does it shift to what is sex? I have in my head, and I think Cara has in her head, but Trish, I'd be curious to hear from your perspective when the question changes.
0: You know, kids are curious around four or five. They're asking where babies coming from. And at that point, it just needs to be a very quick answer, you know, baby grows in mom's uterus, not her stomach. You know, I I think that we just have to be very careful that it's an age appropriate quick answer. But when you're getting into the real plumbing, or you really get into the facts, we always say eight is great, nine is fine. And we Mm -hmm. get people that look at us like crazy, because we want to talk about sex at the age of eight. But if you're actually doing it that early, then you're actually saving yourself a lot of backpedaling because kids get so much negative connotations on the playground and the cafeteria about what this three-letter word is, that if you're the first person to tell them what it is, then you're number one setting yourself up to be the go-to person in the future when they have questions. And number two, you're really protecting them about this miracle of, of where life comes from. And, and so I took the eight is great with, I have two kids, totally polar different um, personalities. And I told my husband, I was going to tell them about this, you know, this big miracle of life when they turned eight on the eighth birthday. And I hyped it up, you know, I was doing, you ready? You ready? So the night of my first daughter's eighth birthday, I'm like, okay, I got this, you know, I can do this. So I went in and did the whole spiel, told her everything. And, you know, it's really good to actually start with the sperm and the egg. It takes a male and a female or a sperm and an egg. And, you know, you go through the fetal development and birth. And then the big thing is, how does the egg and the sperm get together? Right. And so I described it. And my first daughter goes, well, how does the penis do that? (laughs) And I was like, the only thing I think it gets stiff like a pencil. And my husband's looking at me like, I don't like a pencil. (laughs) Uh, And my other one who is um, very strong-willed, she said, what if I never want to do that? You know, and I was like, that's a great question. We're going to start consent. But it's just, I didn't mean to go on that tangent to talk about that. But I just think if you have the opportunity again, and your kids are young and you're listening to this, please find a special day or time. It needs to be a conversation that's not necessarily in the carpool line. If you have the opportunity that you're free from interruptions and you can hear their questions and answer it. But That's the plumbing, right? That's where babies come from. Sex is a huge word. It's intimacy.
1: If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes.
2: Which is why we created the um short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy get your shorts at myumla.com Vanessa we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day I am not joking and the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window our answer is factors ready to eat meals they have been a godsend
1: we throw our factor meals in the microwave it takes two minutes and Out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious and I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies.
2: So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press, pause, or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to
1: order, go to com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box, And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately, I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep. And I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family
2: and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
2: Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. We're
1: going to get to sex. I love the stiff like a pencil that goes in like the (laughs) hall of fame. That was like when one of my colleagues up here who's a sex educator for like 25 years when her own child asked her what sex was, she was like, it's like a special hug. And then she was like, oh my God, I'm so ashamed of myself. I just (laughs) blew it. Um, So keep it simple. Plumbing, parts, be prepared for some unexpected
2: questions. And what I'm hearing is there isn't this hard line distinction between how babies are made and sex, right? There is, it's a continuum of information. Absolutely. Right. And depending, and this is where my head always goes, it depends on the kid and and how old the kid is and what the temperament is and what the ability to absorb the information is and the adult in the situation, right? What their communication style is and and how comfortable they are with the information. But at the end of the day, you know, I've taught many a sex ed class as I would imagine, have you Trish? And it's this very false distinction between what happens once the egg and the sperm get together and how they get together. There's this like what are what are we doing trying to parse this and spare who what it's so backwards to me so i love that the way you did it is made it about a special time and a special day and you kind of came up with an event around it and then you told the story and what that did is that allowed I would imagine, it allowed your kids to come back and refer to that day, that moment, that story. That was the springboard for their questions or a springboard for their questions because you've given them a little, a sort of a, a structure around it. You scaffolded the issue in a really open, healthy way. They still laugh about that night.
0: And I you of course know, my they
2: second, do. <laughs> my second daughter, I'm like, she's too young.
0: I can't go tell her. And my oldest is like, oh, yes, you are. So she actually pushed me into the room with my second daughter to do it. But you know, I think one of the first rules that we have to do as a parent is we have to shed our own baggage and judgment from our own sex education or even lack of it. Right. Um, we've got to take the shame and embarrassment out of the conversation and and really start thinking critically about what we want for our child.
1: Yeah. I mean, we do this exercise where we, it's about leaving your baggage at the door where you kind of identify what that baggage is and then very consciously putting it aside because that's often what's getting in the way of having the conversation. Yeah, And if you know that that is what's going on for you, sometimes you have to actually plan these conversations, right? Like you knew exactly when you were going to have it, it was an event, it was a, a moment in time you were prepared. We don't always get to prepare. Sometimes the question comes to us. So basically between four and eight, be prepared to have a conversation, have a conversation at some point, if it doesn't come up about how babies are made. And we like to say that babies can be made in lots of different ways. And one way is when a sperm meets an egg and grows in a womb because we have workshops where there are kids who are IVF and kids who are adopted and they, and they know their stories and they proudly share them with the group. And it's actually really beautiful. Yes. So after eight, right. Eight is great. Nine is fine. Then we're talking about sex. Gosh. Because it's not a one and done, right? I mean, this is this is, is, this is an Oof. endless yes. conversation, endless. Because yes. we now we all have older kids, and we know how many more conversations we've had about sex as they get older and more sophisticated and have different life experiences. So, what does the initial conversation sound like about what sex is? And, Car, do you want to add to that question?
2: I would just reframe it as what does an initial conversation sound like, right? right? Because it's going to look and sound so many different ways. But give us sort of an ideal way in, Trish.
0: How to start the sex and the plumbing?
2: Well, as opposed to the the sort of egg and sperm narrative and just sort of how babies are made, how do you begin a conversation? Maybe here's the prompt. Here's the prompt I get all the time okay, I understand how babies are made, but then why do people have sex? (laughs) I love that. But parents
0: cringe when we want to bring up the joys and the pleasure of sex. I mean, that to them is just that they can't go there. But I I think that that's affection, intimacy, crushes, uh, healthy relationships, all those things need to be talked about. But When we answer that question, we always get looks like you had sex more than twice when mom has two kids, right? (laughs) Yes, because when two people really care for each other, sex is something that's pleasurable and that's how two people show they care for each other. But I think we have to add the conversations of pleasure and joys of sex to our kids.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's so critical.
2: It insulates them against the next set of conversations that we all know where we're going with this, which is porn, right? Mm. I mean, how do we tee up the conversation about the positives of finding pleasure, self-pleasure, pleasure pleasure with other people, pleasure with partners, because you want that to then run counter to, hey, by the way, if you're seeing this, this is not what I hope for you. Like, I don't want to write the story of your sex, but I hope that you are not involved in violent and aggressive. And right, that's not the goal. The goal is sex feels good physically. The right relationship,
0: the right person, when you're
2: protected,
0: you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. So my clinical practice is in college health. And so I see a lot of students or college age kids that come in that base their sexual activity off pornography, Mm -hmm. which is really sad to me. And so I ask what type of sex and I ask if they enjoy it. I ask if they've ever had an orgasm before because yeah. a lot of people have no idea what these are. But you guys did that talk about um, pornography a couple of weeks ago where the common sense media, you know, I mean, this is scary for parents to realize yeah. that kids as That's young right. as 10 have been seeing it. And kids are curious, right? They're going to look up stuff. They're going to look up words. If you don't answer, even if you do answer, sometimes kids are going to search. My nine-year-old went downstairs when she when well, she's older, I hope she's not listening, but Googled <laughs> boys' bodies. And I right. came downstairs and I looked First. at the computer and I'm like, You know, um, they're just curious and we have to let them know that. And we have to let them know that they're not a bad person if they're seeking it out because they're curious. But we as parents have to have the conversation about pornography before we hand them any device that gives them access to the internet.
1: Right. Um, And if we know that according to the Common Sense report, that 15% of 10-year-olds are exposed (sighs) to porn, that means that eight is great, nine is fine. And 10 is absolutely mandatory (laughs) to come up with a rhyme. Sorry, Trish. I know I tried to also. That's good. Thank you. 10 is a must Yes. because they need to know what sex is and we need to frame for them in a positive, loving, meaningful way what sex is before, God forbid, at 10, they could possibly be exposed to porn. And by the way, it happens earlier than 10 as well as later than 10.
2: But what I'm hearing you say, Vanessa, is if you are not willing to have the conversation about all the positives, all the upsides of sex, then what you're going to be doing when your kid is porn exposed is trying to prove them wrong that that's what sex looks like. If you have an opportunity to get in front of it, get in front of it and cast the narrative in the light that we all hope it's cast in, which is like, Sex is something I want you to have when you're older and it should be wonderful and all positive. And that way, when they see the opposite, they're coming to you saying,
0: um, that's not what, what I'm seeing, yeah. right? Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't that's a scary unsee thing. it. Ugh.
1: And so we want to offer them a baseline that is in runs counter to what that's right. the baseline that porn is. And it it's so interesting. We interviewed the amazing Shafia mm-hmm. Zaloum who wrote the book, uh, I think, Sex, Teens, and Everything in Between. I might've gotten that slightly wrong. And she said to us, you know, we talked a lot about consent and we can talk more about consent in our conversation with you, Trish, but she said, people forget to talk about love when they talk about sex. And I'm like, yes. Like, I was like, oh God, have I forgotten to talk (laughs) about love when I talk about sex? And Like, can we spend a minute talking about what that conversation about love? Because you're working with college kids and they are in the eye of the hookup culture storm, right? And your job, you're like trying to keep them healthy and safe. You're trying to give them good information. You're trying to offer them another path or alternative paths. How do you do that? Dealing with that narrative of people aren't talking about love and they're in the midst of hookup culture.
0: You know, it's really hard because love doesn't come up very often when we're talking about sex, you know, because kids Mm -hmm. are, I mean, they're having sex before they even say their boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. You know, so, you know, we always say emotional intimacy before physical intimacy,
1: E-I-P-I-O, get it? (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was a joke we would have made, Trish. Oh, so good. Okay, good. Go right in. <laughs> well,
0: but it's just, I try not to get frustrated and it kind of helps me with my conversation with my own kids at home, right? I Instead of, you can't have sex until you're so-and-so, it should be more like, what do you want your first experience to be like? And then if you start talking about what do they want it to be like, then you can add in, well, let's make sure that you're protected. Let's make sure... That is the right person, the right relationship. What does a healthy relationship look like? And that conversation can just continue on and on. But I totally agree with you. The love part doesn't always come into the conversation with our teens and young adults when it comes to sex.
2: Or it comes in in the form of, well, that's just not how things are today, (laughs) which is sort of heartbreaking. It's not just sort of heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because I don't believe that it is not that way. I just believe that there are lots of different ways that relationships exist today. And they yeah. probably existed in many of these different ways in the past and no one talked about it. So at least we're talking about it and we're putting language to it. But we need to make room for kids to feel love. The other thing I wonder if you are seeing, Trish, is parents have such concern about the mental health of their kids. and listen, we all have kids about the same age. We're all in this boat. We do not want to see them hurt. We are terrified of what a mental health crisis can look like. I wonder if what you're seeing is a version of love, feeling love might put someone Mm -hmm. at risk for a mental health issue. In other words, if, if they... Allow themselves to fall in love. If the high is high, maybe the low is going to be really low. And as a parent, that can feel very scary given what's happening in the world and I of think mental health. teens don't, it's hard to feel vulnerable, right?
0: And I think that has a lot to do with it is because they don't want to put that L word out there because, I mean, there's a ton of things that really affect our mental health with that. But vulnerability is just one of those things that I don't think we see very often because it's just hard to put it out there.
1: Right. Weirdly, we all talk about it, but like no one actually does it. And you're like, where's the disconnect here?
2: They also say love <laughs> all the time. I just gotta say, I got a tangent for a second. They say love all the time. Like they say I, love to their friends. The oh, every time the phone at yes. the call is ending, it's yes. I love you, love you. And so it does and this mean is not just girls, college oh, no.
1: age boys, good friends, yeah. tell each love other you, they, man. so yeah, in fairness to them. They do show love and express love, but somehow there's become a chasm between love and sex. And I think our job as caring adults is to help them understand that those two things ideally come together and are part and parcel of each other if it's, you know, an intimate relationship. So I love the parents who say, like, when you start having the sex conversation, you start having the porn conversation, then you start having the, like, your kid is going to start doing this soon. Right. And I'll say that to like a parent of a high school freshman. (laughs) And they look at me and they're like, what, what are you talking about? They're, you know, they're 14 or they're 15. Like there's no way. And the minute an adult says, there's no way, all I want to be like is, oh yes, there is a big, big, big way. And don't put your head in the sand. So when you have, because Trish, you get these kids and Cara had this, like you get them alone in the examining room and the parents are gone, right? You've got the parent who thinks their kid is like 20 years away from ever having sex. And you've got the kid who's sitting there who like just gave a blowjob
2: last week, right? And bought 12 (laughs) pregnancy tests. So yes, that's uh like,
1: how do we get parents realistic, and we do know kids are having sex later than they used to,
2: but how do we like bridge well that gap? I mean, oh, we sorry, know that Cara's kids are having vaginal yeah, in intercourse. I, I am. They are having, they are reporting, not having, they're reporting vaginal, heterosexual vaginal intercourse as starting later. That's all. There's some other That's activities all. intermingled in there.
1: Yes. Yeah. And the minute you tell parents some chlamydia friendly activities. (laughs) Well, and the minute you tell parents that anal sex is way up, they like nearly it's because of pornography. Anal sex is, I mean, you know, anyway, we already hit the
0: pornography discussion.
1: So, my question for you is how do we move adults to the place where they understand that their image of what their kid is doing versus what their kid is actually doing and how they can begin, even as they think it's just like unfathomable? How do they begin to have those conversations about? I, I wish I had the answer to that because that would be like a um, a magic eight ball. But I will tell
0: you, whenever I would send the parents <laughs> out of the room to have confidential conversations with patients, I had one mom that really got furious with me and actually left the practice. And, and my whole thing was, we're on the same team. You know, we, we're trying to do yeah. the same thing as, as to, but yeah, parents would leave and the girls would be like, oh yeah, I'm sexually active. And the mom had no idea whatsoever. And that happens more than we want to admit. Right. And we can't go tell the mom that they're sexually active,
2: but. Right. Can you talk about that for half a second? About absolutely. the confidentiality piece.
0: I think it's really important that physicians should pull kids by themselves at an early age, because number one, it allows them to ask questions that they feel uncomfortable to ask. And, but what we need to let them know is that our conversations are confidential, right? So anything a kid tells Mm -hmm. us, we're not going to go tell the mom unless uh, they're in danger to themselves or others. But a mom once said to me, well, she's having sex. So isn't that danger to herself? And I was like, ooh. No, so it's hard, but if kids understand, hey, what we talk about, and they will open up and tell you lots more. But yeah. I don't know how we get parents to understand. I mean, we can show them statistics all day long, right?
1: And see, but yeah, it's not their kid. They'll, they'll still say, not, not my kid. Not right, my not my kid. kid. And I'm like, oh, then it's a hundred percent your kid.
2: <laughs> and look. I mean, I don't know about the two of you, but I am fully guilty oh, of that kind of yes. thinking in 12 other ways. Alcohol. You know, I mean, like you, you, yeah, you yeah, can, uh, totally. Right, so uh, it's not to bash other parents. It's just when you put your parent hat on, things look different Absolutely. than when you wear your pediatrician hat or your yep. puberty educator yep. hat or any other hat.
1: So you've got a kid who's, I don't mean you. I mean, there's a kid who's watching porn, who's getting all of these messages about what bodies look like, what sex looks like, what partners want. And those messages are all coming from the porn. And again, it's many, many conversations, but what is your, Trish, what's your go-to kind of intro statement to kids about First yeah. thing is there's not one thing
0: real about pornography. The boobs aren't real. The penis, the, the ha- hairless body, nothing is real about pornography. And it's scripted just like your Superman Marvel movie. I don't know if Superman's Marvel or not. Is he? I always, I always get a confused. But, it might you know, be DC. One of those yeah. power uh, Hulk or whatever. And But still, if they've already been watching it and they are addicted and the dopamines tell them to watch more and more, it's really hard to get them to stop. And parents definitely need to reach out for help. If they find out that their kids are just watching more and more of it, because that, uh, that image, as we said, can't be unforgotten and it just makes them, you know, trivialized rape put violence into it. It's just pornography just drives me crazy. And when was the last time I saw a female with pubic hair? It's all because of pornography.
1: Yeah. I uh, she, d- I had to have the conversation with one of my kids and I was like, just an FYI, it is normal for female genitals for a vulva to have hair on it. You may not see a vulva with hair on it, but that's because it's all my, been removed. My nurses and like,
0: die. They me right. to have a recording of there's a purpose for your pubic hair because I go into a room and they're like, here she goes, a purpose
2: for her pubic hair. Uh, We should do a PSA for pubic hair. Really? We should. Okay. Let me, let me take the porn conversation and swap out the word porn Mm -hmm. for social media, because there are a lot of parents either who have younger kids, whose kids are not being porn exposed either at all or at the level, of the older kids or parents who are simply not open to the conversation about porn because they're just not ready to get there. And so let's just baby step it back a little bit to social media Can we talk for a moment about what a conversation with a kid sounds like when you're trying to shine a light on the influence of the unreal imagery on social media? As
0: a parent, I, I don't like the helicopter parents who look at everything, but when we hand our kids a device that has access to everything, they don't have to have every app on it. They don't have to have everything on that phone. And I think it's baby steps with how much you give them. Initially, they have a phone so they can contact you in case of an emergency, Uh, but then they're gonna talk you into something else, right? So let's say they talk you into Instagram or, or whatever their favorite thing is at the time. Just like, and I know you hear this all the time, you're not going to give your kids a key to a car without training them. You're going to sit down and you're going to look at Instagram and you're just going to say, you know, look at these pictures. Look at her. Do you think that's real? Do you think she's always that happy? It's edited. (laughs) Do you think that's her real boobs? What about her nose? And I think if parents just sit down and have a discussion over what they're looking at, it really helps because most, as we know, one to 2% of Instagram is real.
2: Yeah, and I would layer onto that as someone who lives in Los Angeles, but this is by no means a Los Angeles phenomenon. Let me be very clear. It's important for us to have these conversations about how to recognize kind of what may or may not be real and authentic from being judgmental about it. Being judgmental about it shuts down the conversation. Being judgmental about it in my neck of the woods Really, what it does is it trivializes the choices of a number of people who live in and around you who might have made those decisions for a whole host of reasons. I remember when I was in medical school, there was a big debate about reconstructive versus Mm. plastic surgery. And essentially, the consensus was reconstructing something that was broken. Great. That's positive. Plastic surgery bad, and I thought, gosh, it's that's not a fair lens either. And so we have to be careful when we talk about social media to point out authentic and real from sort of maybe changed or transformed. What are the reasons? You know, you could make up. You ever play that game where you're sitting at a restaurant and you're trying to figure out someone's (laughs) story? Yeah, you can do that on social media, and it's really fun. Yeah.
1: Right. What's going? What do you think's going on here? That's like my favorite. Game. When I was a kid, I had my dad had to move me because I was at one end of a table, and there was a table sitting next to us that was really fascinating, and I just sat I'm so there. I'm Glad to know other people play them game. like this. I thought I meals. was weird. I love to go on cruises. And to t- the best game. It's <laughs> no, it's like better. I was going to say it's better than sex, but you know what I mean. Wait, but I want to
0: say one thing real quick. Going back to what you said, Carol. I so appreciate that you said that because I think that. Uh, we have to be careful when we're looking at images. But I always tell kids, look around their cafeteria, their math class. That's what's normal, not what they're seeing on Instagram. And and my husband always says, I when we that. make a comment, is that an observation or a judgment? Because, you know, mm. I think it's, it is hard sometimes for us to be judgy, but kids pick it up.
1: They do. And they shut down when they feel like you're judging, they shut down. Okay. So there's no good way to get to this next one. Drum roll, please, for the star of the show. When is the right time to talk about masturbation?
0: Oh. I used to get moms that would come in that would say they were in the grocery cart and their kids humping on the, the railing of the grocery cart. I'm like, she's masturbating. They're like, oh my God, no. Or I had one kid that would, mom had this beautiful red hair and she would layer across her head and she would just hit her hit her pelvic region on mom's head. I'm like, she's masturbating. And they're like, no. And so, you know, little kids masturbate. Their hands go in those little panties that are not tight and things just happen. And so very early on, don't slap their hand away, remove their hand and say, that's a, that's your private part here. Let's go in your bedroom or let's, you know, go to the bathroom or something. But I think we have to be really careful about being offended or judged. There's that word again and slapping their hand away. So it usually happens toddler, young age, and then it'll stop a little bit. And then, but you know, it's really self-soothing for them, right? Some kids put themselves to sleep. That's Right. you know, masturbation is completely normal. And we all think that just boys masturbate, but girls masturbate too. everybody masturbates if they want to, and it's normal. But in girlology, we have three rules around masturbation that we talk about in our programs. And, and one is that it's a private activity. It is not a spectator sport. It's not a common <laughs> dinnertime conversation and it shouldn't take up all your free time. And if, mm. it, if you're, you're fine. If you go by those three rules, But yeah, parents have a lot of trouble. I had a one mom that called that she walked in on her daughter when she was masturbating and she shut the door and she goes, it's been three weeks. I'm like, you got to talk to her about it. But uh, that's a tough one because some people believe it's not normal and it's dirty and you shouldn't do it.
1: Right. I mean, there are religious and cultural realities. And so you have to walk a fine line when you're teaching about it or giving adults instructions about it. but to dismiss a natural urge or inclination rather than provide them with appropriate parameters and guidelines. And the other question that we get, Trish, is people find their kids masturbating with objects that are actually not safe for their bodies, right? So the the skin on- <laughs> can, can,
2: can I just tell the story, Vanessa, yes. about- By the way, this Van- is
1: not the first time we've gotten this question, what car is Van- about to say.
2: Vanessa was visiting me in LA. We were doing a work trip and we went into a little mall that was across the street from an office building where we were working. And there was a coffee place and we need coffee endlessly- Always. Always. And as we were walking to the coffee place, we passed a really nice kiosk, like sort of a very fancy kiosk, and it caught our eyes. And in the window, because the kiosk had walls and windows, in the window were several Theragun massage units. You know, they mm-hmm. the massage. And Vanessa, I don't know, I don't, I have no explanation for this comment. She literally had never seen a Theragun and said to me, Oh, that's the thing that a mom just emailed about with a question. She just found her kid masturbating with a Theragun. And I said to Vanessa, We need to walk into this kiosk right now. You need to feel what a Theragun feels like because it is not safe to masturbate with a Theragun. It pummels muscles. And I, I was dumbfounded. That was the first time I thought, no way would anyone ever write back again. We've had emails, we've had no. DMs, we've had et- people In-person reaching out,
1: questions, crazy,
2: all about theraguns. So part of
1: why it's important to talk about masturbation and normalize it is because if you don't talk about it, they might use something that's actually not safe for their bodies in order to masturbate. Because it's not their hands, right? It's not right. their hands. Yeah. And helping them understand that that skin and tissue that they need to treat really respectfully and carefully is so important. But if you're not having the conversations, you Mm -mm. can't teach them about how to take care of those parts of, of their bodies. Trish, I feel like we could spend eight more hours on here with you. And Don't I hope... Don't tell me we're... Are we done? Don't tell me we're, we're done. Come no. back, Trent. But you're going to come back and visit us. You're now part of our community and you're going to come back and visit us. And we can go to all those hilarious places that we didn't get to in this conversation. Card, did I skip any of the burning topics that we wanted to ask, Trish? We have...
2: No, that's for the next episode. Okay. Bur- burning. We'll talk about burning in the next episode. I know. Episode. I was like,
1: oh, we didn't get to STIs. Speaking of burning, we didn't get uh, to STIs.
2: But we will link in the show notes to Trish's books, to her website, to all of the amazing resources she puts out into the world. We were laughing at the very beginning, right before we pressed record, because... Trish and I have known of each other for some time. We both cheer each other on and um, we are each other's direct competitors and we are thrilled (laughs) to be in each other's company because the more body books out there, the better. So we want you to read any and all that resonate with you. So please look at Uology if you haven't seen it before, it's fabulous. You can never
1: own enough puberty and body books. You own enough body books. (laughs) <laughs> says my, my my sagging shelves. Trish, I would love for you to come back and talk about from a doctor's perspective working with college age kids and what are the the lessons learned and things that adults. We had Jill Grimes on that mm-hmm. on the podcast um and her ultimate handbook and that was awesome, but I feel like that is a whole world of conversations we could have. Yes. yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. And um, we're so happy to finally meet you, in quotes, ha, 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 that joke never gets old. And to have you with us. And I am going to get to meet Trish in person in a couple of months. So lucky. We should do something live. We should do something oh. live. Ah, <gasps> uh, I'm okay put it on my calendar. We're gonna brainstorm. we're gonna brain. Yes. T- I'm sure Cara will have something cringy oh and hilarious gosh. for us to I, do. <laughs> I have to go
2: to Charleston.
0: <laughs> yes, you do, or we'll FaceTime you in or something. So yes. but this has been a great conversation. Thank y'all so much for including me. It was just a lot of fun. And I'm happy to come back. And y'all got to come over to my side if you would. We would love to have you on the mom cliff.
1: Yes, please. Anytime. Awesome. Yes, please. Thanks, Trish. Thank, Thank you, you, Trish.
2: Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at ThePubertyPodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myumla.com or Dynamogirl.com. Bye.